don't want to deny your faith. I get it. So the answer is simple. Drop the class. Yeah, but I'm not sure I can do that. I feel like God wants someone to defend him. Don't be ridiculous. I don't know. I just keep thinking of that C.S. Lewis line. Only a real risk can test the reality of a belief. It's a scene from the film God's Not Dead. And for some, the evidence is obvious that God does exist, a belief which is at the core of the Christian faith. So why does it seem so complicated for others? Look at the earth and look at the heavens, you will see an overwhelming amount of evidence that proves to you that God exists. He says, stop making excuses. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. God ultimately places the responsibility of whether we choose to believe or not in our hands. And today, Charles Tapp shares the third part in this series, The Heart of Christianity, by explaining that you can't ignore the evidence around us. With his message, no excuses. Today, we began the third in a series of messages titled, The Heart of Christianity. And our message today is titled, No Excuses. If you were here last week, or maybe you weren't here the week before, let me just catch you up to speed. When we talk about the heart of Christianity, we're talking about those things that are the essence of what a Christian is and what the Christian faith and, and what the Christian experience is all about, those things that, that are core to being a Christian. We looked at the first, the first week, the issue of faith, and the writer to the Hebrews told us in Hebrews 11 verse 6, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. And he's not just talking about any kind of faith. He's not talking about just saying, I agree with a certain list of propositions. He's talking about a saving faith. He's talking about a relational faith. He's talking about a trust in God. And that's why it says in the book of Genesis that Abraham believed God and God counted it toward him as being a righteous person because this saving faith is not about a religion. It is about a relationship with God. For Paul says, for by grace are you saved through that faith. And how does one acquire this kind of, this kind of saving relational faith? The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 14 to 17, now faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, Paul says that God breathed upon those men of old inspiration by the Holy Spirit into their lives and they conceived and gave birth to the word of God. What is this thing called inspiration where mere mortal man can be so engaged that he writes the word of God? It is God breathe. 
We give birth to, Jesus said, a sanctified life. Amen? What Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart so that I can use them by your truth. Your word is truth. So that same power that was in the word of God that makes it the powerful word of God that it is can be in our lives if we're willing to live for the word of God. For this is a word of life, which leads us to our message today, no excuses. For when you think about what is really at the heart of Christianity, it is this, and that is a belief in the existence of God. For without the belief in God, you have no Christianity. You have no faith. When I was a child around six or seven years of age, I remember one of the first questions that I asked my father. I remember like it was yesterday. He was, he was in the bathroom shaving. And I walked into the bathroom and I asked him the question that all little children ask their parents. Daddy, where did I come from? And he looked at me and said, son, you came from the same place that everyone else came from. I said, where is that, daddy? You came from God. So you know what my next question was, right? Well, daddy, where did God come from? Well, God came from heaven. And you know what my next question was going to be, don't you? But I didn't get a chance to ask it because he ended the conversation right there. I was going to ask him, well then, Daddy, if God comes from heaven, where does heaven come from? And although at that time I was just a, a simple child articulating childlike questions, the existence of God has always been one of those subjects that has left even the most learned of men searching for answers. For in spite of the fact that God has provided everything that you and I need, given us every opportunity to see that he exists, many today still don't believe that God is, that the reality of God in our world today exists. And one of the best sources of evidence of that fact, of the existence of God, is right here in the Word of God. And when you read Scripture, you'll discover very quickly that the Bible does not try to prove the existence of God. The Bible simply states the fact that God exists. For in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning what? God. It simply declares that God is. It doesn't try to prove that God exists. It simply declares the fact that in the beginning was God and God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, he's saying the mere fact that the heavens and the earth exist, something, someone had to cause that. Those of you who have taken my class, the principles of Christian faith, you know what is called the argument of cause. What simply says that everything in this world has been caused by something or it does not exist. And Thomas Aquinas, the 13th century 
philosopher and theologian. He was the main proponent of this idea, this reason for the existence of God called the argument of cause or the cosmological argument. And he put it in his own terms. He put it this way. He says, God is the cause of the uncaused cause. Did you get that or do I need to say it again? God is the cause of the uncaused cause. In other words, what Thomas Aquinas was saying is this, that everything in this world is here because it was caused. But there was nothing that caused God. But God is the cause of everything. Therefore, God is the cause of the uncaused cause. Can the church say amen? God is the cause of the uncaused cause. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible doesn't try to prove that God exists. It simply says that the mere fact that the heavens and the earth exist, God caused them. Nothing simply just exists without a cause. Nothing just happens, especially when you think about how intricately this world is designed and put together. But what I find interesting, you know, the psalmist says in, in Psalm 19 and verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. But isn't it amazing how we can recognize the works of famous artists, whether they be painters or sculptors or musicians, when you see a certain piece or if you hear a piece of music whether it's Beethoven or Tchaikovsky, you recognize immediately within the first few bars that that is attributed to that particular artist. You can even see a painting that doesn't even have to be a name there that lets you know that's Michelangelo's painting, but you can just look at it. You can look at the textures, the colors that are used and how they're used, and you can say, that's his painting. But why is it then we can look at this great world that God has created in a design that nothing else in this world can be compared to. But we think that that just happened. Men believe that it just came about as some big bang or man evolved from some monkey in a jungle or from some ape. Foolishness. The mere fact that there is a creature with an intricate design means that there is a great designer. The mere fact that you have intelligent life means that there had to have been a creator with intelligent life to have created that. God exists, and that is what is at the heart of Christianity. If you don't believe that, you have no Christianity. And this is what Paul was trying to convey to his readers, to his hearers in Romans chapter 1. And I want us to go back there today. Romans chapter 1. And I want, want us to just go through verses 16 to verse 20. Look at what the Word of God says. Paul says, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who what? Believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. 
For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. He's quoting Habakkuk chapter two here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, talking about the scriptures. For God has what? Shown it to them. Now look at verse 20. Look at what this verse has to say. For since the creation of the world, his, talking about God, his invisible attributes are what? Clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, talking about us, are without what? Excuse. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, if you will just open your eyes and look at this world, look at the earth, and look at the heavens, you will see an overwhelming amount of evidence that proves to you that God exists. He says, stop making excuses. Whenever I teach a class, and my students will tell you this, there's one thing I require from all of them, regardless of what class it may happen to be. And that is a three ring binder notebook. Isn't that right, Amber? You still have yours? Say yes, thank you very much. <laughs> I require a three ring binder with five divisions. The first division is for your syllabus. The second for your notes, the next for your quizzes, the fourth for your handout, and the last for the midterm. I don't give the final back for obvious reasons. Now I require that. Every semester, there's always one or two students that at the end of the semester come to me and say, Pastor, you never said that <laughs> without fail. Am I telling the truth? Without fail. I said, not only have I said it, I said it the first day of class, I said it midterm, and I said it at the end, no pastor. I said, well, why is it that everybody else has their notebook but you? You never said it, pastor. I said, pull out your syllabus. Look on the first page of the syllabus. Tell me what it says. But you didn't say it, pastor. But it's there. In other words, stop making excuses. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, No Excuses. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you 
and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life, and the choice is yours to believe the evidence whether God exists or not. But today, Charles Tapp shares that ultimately you're responsible for it because it's at the core of the Christian faith. He explains with the rest of his message, no excuses. Paul says, you're not stupid. He said, they just refuse to give credit where credit is due. This planet didn't just happen. God, the great God, our creator of the universe, made it happen because he is the cause of the uncaused cause. In other words, no one can plead innocence because no one can plead ignorance. With all this evidence, even outside of God's word of a great God, the creator, why is it that still many today are intent on denying the existence of God? I'll tell you why. Because they are afraid of God and they do not trust Well, why is it that you don't trust a God of love? Even scripture says that God is love. What is it about God that people have a hard time placing their trust and faith in? Isn't he a God of love? Why does this God have so many restrictions? Let me just share this with you this this morning. Love always comes with restrictions. When I was a child, I could not understand for the life of me why our parents placed so many restrictions on us. Now that I'm a parent of grown children, Jillian, I know why they did it. Because they loved us. But I couldn't understand that for the life of me, especially when they were placed restrictions on our time. They gave us a curfew. The curfew was not 10 o'clock. The curfew was when the sun started to set and the street lights started blinking and started coming on, which meant you shouldn't be on your way home. You should be on the front step, opening the door, walking in. And we would look out my sister's bedroom window and we would see all of our friends out there just having a great time. And I just couldn't understand. I said, they don't love us until I went away to college. And I came back, I was a little bit more mature, and I saw some of those same people that hung out on the street corner. Guess where they were? Oh, you know them, huh? (laughs) They are still hanging out on the street corner, and one who lived right next door was murdered, and his body was dumped right in front of the house. So I thank God for the fact that love has restrictions. Your job is to set standards for your children. Our jobs as parents is to place restrictions on them and that's what God does. And many people today don't want to believe or acknowledge God because they don't want God to place restrictions on them because they wanna live their lives the way they want to live their lives and they don't want anybody telling them what to do. Once you accept God, it's no longer business as usual. You can no longer just do what you want to do. It's all about what God wills for you. 
But here's the anthem of our culture today. It is not your will be done, O God, but it is do what thou wilt, which is a philo philosophical law that was made famous by Aleister Crowley, who was an English occultist and Satanist. And he developed these books on the law of Thelema, which basically said, do what thou wilt and thou shalt be whole. Do what thou wilt, please don't miss this, and thou shalt be whole. In other words, you don't need to acknowledge a God because the principles of the Lima basically say, you are God, so do what thou wilt. In other words, do what you want, have it your way. And there is, within these holy books of the Lima, this image that is used to signify the principles of Aleister Crawley's philosophy. That is the symbol of this satanic philosophy of the Lima. So when you see stars and, and rappers and all these individuals in the entertainment world with these emblems on their clothing, on their record labels, or on their covers of the CDs. In essence, they're telling you that they are a proponent of Crowley's philosophy. Do as thou wilt. In other words, I don't need a God to tell me what to do because I'm God. That is the philosophy, the satanic occultist philosophy of the Lima that says there is no God because I am God. You're denying the existence of God. Parents, it's time to be parents. Take the music out of your house. Take it off your kids' iTunes. Delete it. I don't care how much they paid for it. Take the headphones away. Stand up and be a parent. As I said to you on last week, we, in our pursuit to try to create a certain standard of life, in the end, we have created a life with no standards, with no rules. So why serve a God, why acknowledge a God that wants to place more rules upon me? And in Romans 1 verse 18, Paul says that the wrath of God is going to be revealed in the lives of those who try to suppress the knowledge of the fact that God is, that he is a reality. And God's not talking about raining down fire from heaven. God is talking about leaving them to themselves. For as the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And God is basically saying, if you want to live as though there is no God, I'm going to let you go right ahead and live your life like there is no God. And that's our culture today. We live in a culture where for the most part, we're acting like there is no God. You turn on the television, it has, it has invaded the television like never before. Every show on television now is giving the theme of there is no God at least not the God that we know. 
And despite all the amount of evidence that exists in God's word and in creation, there are many today that still ignore the fact there is no God. They just can't see the light. When I was living in Huntsville, Alabama, pastoring at Oakwood College, we bought a house there. Still have it. It's going to be the retirement home whenever we retire. But we bought this home from a woman who, I can't remember what her profession was, but she worked the graveyard shift. She would get home around 6 a.m. in the morning. When you go into her bedroom, we saw these, these black blinds. They were pulled down to the, the very bottom of the window and no light could come in. It was like you were in a cave. And I asked, I said, why? Why do you have these black blinds saying to myself, if I buy this house, this is the first thing that's going to go. Along with the 70s carpeting that was in the house. She said, well, you know, I work the graveyard shift and I get home like 6 a.m. in the morning. So I have to sleep during the daytime and I can't sleep if there's any light coming through. So she has it set up so there's no light. There are people today that do not acknowledge the existence of God because they do not want to see the light. And Paul says they are suppressing the truth that God exists. Paul says that God is going to leave them to themselves. But you and I have a faith in God, dear friends. It's not a casual faith. It's not a blind faith. It's not a blind hope. I call it an intelligent faith because God has given us more evidence than we need to acknowledge him as God. I read a poll a few weeks ago. It was a Gallup poll that said, and this blew me away. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was an error, but it wasn't. It says 95% of Americans believe that God exists. You know what I said? 95% of Americans believe that God exists. But here's the thing. Just acknowledging that God exists is not enough. For even the demons acknowledge that God exists. But it means entering into a trusting relationship with that God that makes the difference. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There are many today that don't believe God exists, but there are even many more who believe he exists but for some reason, they're not willing to acknowledge a belief in him to that extent because they do not trust him. Despite what his word says, despite what we see in nature, and despite what they see in my life and your life. But I challenge us today as believers, dear friends, to have a deep abiding faith in the great God of the universe, who is the cause of the uncaused cause who will enter into our lives and not create a religion but will create a relationship a loving trusting relationship 
Because even though he brings restrictions, he brings them because he loves us. And we don't have any excuses anymore. So I challenge us today to go deep in this relationship with God, to search for him with all our hearts. The prophet says you'll find him if you look for him, not with a casual searching, but with a deep searching where you give it everything you have. Because the heart of Christianity isn't simply a belief in God. It is the faith in God and the God that we believe in. Amen. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, No Excuses. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Whatever seed you plant in your life, whether it be to the flesh or to the spirit, you will reap a greater harvest than that which you planted. If you want to be successful at anything, you have to first plant the seeds, do the work necessary to reap the reward. It's the same in our Christian journey. And next week, Charles Tapp explains this with his message, success is not an accident. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.